TSR Inc. Take command in Kryn! Announcing the all-new Dragonlance Adventures Hardback. Packed full of never-before-released material that will take you far beyond the normal AD&D rules and on the most extraordinary adventures you'll ever experience. Inside, you'll find 128 pages of rule modifications and Dragonlance lore. New player character classes for the Knights of Salamnia and Gnome Technicians. Complete rules for the Orders of High Sorcery and much, much more. The new Dragonlance Adventures is the irrefutable authority for all crinophiles everywhere. It'll put you in control of your destiny. Available at most toy and hobby stores. Dragonlance and AD&D are registered trademarks of TSR Incorporated. The TSR logo and trademarks of TSR Inc. Copyright 1987 TSR Inc. All rights reserved. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. A year from now, 10, they'll swing back to the belief that they can make people better. And I do not hold to that. So no more running. I aimed a random banner. Random banter time, buddy. <laughs> Where's that from? And what have you been doing? Is that from Firefly? Yes. Okay. Specifically, right. uh, yeah, I I aim to misbehave. I got I aim that to misbehave. part. Yeah. I just can't remember which episode that's, that's uh, from. from. Serenity. It's from the movie. Oh, it's from the movie. Yeah. Okay. It's when they found out about the packs making all the uh, Reavers. All right. Because the corporation said, I'm "Hey, like, we I'm can like, make a population docile." I'm like, I know this. I've heard this. Yeah. <laughs> Good pickup on that, man. I didn't know if you'd fully get that one or not. Oh, That's yeah. Great. The, the, the I aim to misbehave. I, 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 I saw that coming a little bit, and I was like, ah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. That's it. That's it. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. What have I been up to? Well, um, by the time this episode goes out, I, I'm going to be... Um, I'm going to be hitting send on this episode and, and sending it out into the ether. Um, I'm going to be recovering from an amazing, amazing hangover, or I'll be starting one. Mm, okay. uh, because oh, it's going to be on be December SantaCon? 22nd, and it's going to be SantaCon. SantaCon. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a drinker's holiday right there. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I am going to be, uh, be uh, lifting the old uh, glasses of holiday cheer. Yep. I, I, it didn't look like I was going to be going this year because I was supposed to be going to Maryland, mm. uh, taking my family to Maryland to spend the holidays with my sister-in-law. But okay. uh, due to things changing, uh, my sister-in-law is going to be coming out here. So instead oh. of going to Maryland, we're going to be going to Medford. Oh, that's really similar. Not at all. But... Not at all. Starts with an M, ends with a D, and that spells trouble. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. It will be fun. It okay. will be fun. Yeah, we'll that ought to be great. It. Yeah. But uh, that that's, it's not a what's going on now, but that's the random bet I'm going to talk about in the future. Okay. How about you? I mean, what's new with you? Well, you're talking holidays, so I'll talk about holidays. Talk Yours about was holidays. Christmas. I'm going to pick Halloween. Ooh. Yeah. So, you know, Halloween, yes, obviously is come and gone, but I wanted to tell you a story of my Halloween. Okay. Uh, we took the daughter around just the cul-de-sac and, you know, it's just like, oh, okay, we just took her around the little neighborhood and saw the people and stuff. And one of our neighbors, he's a school teacher and divorced and his kids are over at the uh-huh. ex-wife's place and everything. And he was like, hey, I'm I'm in for the night. I'll see you guys, you know, spend time. That'd be great. You know, it's like, I'm going to be here. You know, yep. just kind of make it pretty obvious. He's like, I want company. Yeah. So we just told him, it's like, hey, turn off all your lights and just come on over with us. You know, just get you sure. know, give out candy at our place. And he's like, yeah, that's great. So we hung out and, you know, he's like six beers into a six pack when we're giving him drinks kind of thing. But it was it was fun because, again, he's an elementary school teacher and uh, a group of six kids come to the door and, you know, hey, trick or treat. And it's like, oh, hi. Yeah. And I'm giving, giving candy out. And uh, he's like, hey, what school do you go to? And one little boy starts to answer, except, I don't know, maybe his sister or something is like, no, that's too much information. Don't tell him. And then locking her eyes onto mine and repetitively reaching into the candy bag or the candy bucket, she's all, stranger danger, stranger danger, stranger danger. Just grabbing handfuls of candy as she goes. And I'm laughing at this. This is the funniest thing that has happened at any Halloween for me. And uh, you know, just kind of like, 
if you're worried about stranger danger, you probably shouldn't be taking candy from me. But she yeah. kept that eye lock and then just filled her bag and walked away. And I'm like, I can't stop you because this is hilarious. And what was really funny was just how angry my neighbor was later. Because he's like, these kids don't even live in our neighborhood. Come in here. Don't tell me what school you're going to. I'm not a creep. I just want to know. I'm making conversation. You don't even live in this neighborhood. But I'm like, stranger danger. <laughs> Just, there's so many things wrong with everything it was just so funny it's still funny to me it's like a month ago now uh, i just laughed and laughed and laughed so that that's the random better i want to talk about because i just really wanted to share a stranger danger story with you well i like this we're we're, we're recording this in mid-november yeah, almost thanksgiving uh, I, you know you're telling something from you know the end of october yep. and i'm telling about something that's gonna be the end of december Dude, it's the end of the year it's the holiday season it's they all just season run and run all over each other schedule of craziness yeah and it's the, just the the end of the year is just kissing cousins of holidays it doesn't matter so <laughs> on that lovely image let's go ahead and uh and talk about this comic jeff can you please give us a two-sentence replay from the last episode a very bored katie pulls some minor pranks on two of her siblings that have the potential to cause them some minor bodily injuries while a very bored franklin was almost killed by his dad's lasers before he pulls one minor prank on the human torch that was one flame on away from killing him again so he goes to see the thing who almost kills him with a sneeze Despite these setbacks, Kitty and Franklin get together to have a boredom-killing adventure with Madcap, the manic nihilist cartoon-like character that believes nothing but fun matters as he can't be hurt or killed, until they realize that he has mental issues and is putting innocent people at risk in the pursuit of happiness. Now that the This was a very heavy-handed after-school special about the dangers of pranks and the need for responsibility in a very out-of-continuity issue, two-sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our Power Pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Do you want to take a guess on this one? Uh, Madcap Ale? No, no, that was for last episode. Oh, for this episode. (laughs) I don't even know what this issue's about, man. We haven't talked about synopsis yet. I know. But it is, in fact, about... Uh, apocalypse horsemen attacking New York in a blackout and pestilence is a big one of that. So is there uh, pestilent p- pestilence Pilsner? No, it's going to be dead guy ale. No. Okay. But I like that the first thing you said was the right answer. Oh, I, like I knew. Apocalypse. <laughs> uh, it's an IPA. Hooray. Uh, from, uh, Ten Bar- from Ten Barrel Brewing Company, uh-huh. India Pale Ale. It's story time is drink beer outside and that is a very well there's, there's more on the side for oh it. yeah there's stuff for you to talk about oh, and everything but you the label uh the label is it's very just black and white and it is pretty much just kind of got a little bit of uh, outdoor scenery in the background it's some trees and there's a river and some trees it, it doesn't have much it's like i said it is a it is a monochromatic uh label this is abv 6.8 IBU 70. It's the first beer developed at 10 Barrels Brewery. And uh, Apocalypse is made for those of us that go big and then celebrate with a cold beer. You know who you are, pushing your limits every day and living life to the fullest. Our brewers did the same thing when creating this beer using 4.8 pounds of hops per barrel. Go big or go home. Yeah, that's a a saying that we have around my house is go big or go to the level that you're uh, fine with. I was gonna say, is your is your uh, phrase around your house? Uh, we use four point eight barrels <laughs> or four point eight pounds of hops in uh, doing whatever we do. Yeah, obviously. Okay. Yeah, that's. I think that's everybody's standard catchphrase. I mean, how else are you gonna meet somebody when you, you know, when you introduce them? Do you do something gross like go, "Hi, my name's Rick. It's really nice to meet you." No, you go, "Hi, I would put four and a half pounds of hops into anything I do." Watch me put them into my cheeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a chipmunk storing hops for the winter, for the long, long, bitter, hoppy winter. <laughs> we have got an IPA here. It's yeah, very hoppy. It is, in fact, an IPA. It's not terrible smelling I'm on the more IPA. Pine, actually, I'm getting more of that pine smell. Dang it! Now that you say it, I'm smelling that. Yeah, that's yeah. got a little bit more juniper kind of thing going on than it does the IPA. More, more I, juniper than hops. And you know what? I'm getting a. <sighs> Malt. I'm getting a pretty heavy malt on there too. Well, okay, this is becoming more interesting. Uh, more interesting than I thought originally. Well, we haven't tasted it yet. Yeah, though, I haven't but, tasted it yet. Uh, when he, we opened it up and poured it, it was like that's an IPA. <laughs> 
plain and simple IPA. But it's, smell it, that smell. It's, it's an IPA. <laughs> it's got a nice uh, golden color to it. Yeah, it's a little, little, little hazy. Yeah, a little, little hazy. hazy. It's fairly transparent, but there is there is some haze going on in that. And it's it's fairly bubbly, and I don't know. It's it's a nice looking beer. It looks very much like a generic beer color. Yeah, maybe a little darker, but uh, yeah, it it looks great. It's got a lovely color to it. Uh, doesn't pour with a big foamy head, which is nice because maybe that's just because Rick knows how to pour beer, and Possibly. I'm and I'm doing a terrible job of that lately. Yeah, but yeah, I smell that. I smell that uh, that pine, and I smell that malt. So let's give it a taste. It's got the sharp mm. kick of hop. Yeah, but then there's something else in there little honey okay uh, definitely pine yeah definitely, definitely pine. pine yeah you know it's not bad though i'm not getting that that tar type of taste i'm not getting that real hit of heavy of yeah. rusted metal yeah huh. it, it comes it's on strong fairly smooth all the hops that's in it it is fairly hop smooth mm-hmm. there is there is a bit of a kind of a honeyed hops yeah. aftertaste that hangs around in the mouth and it might just be very piney. Yeah. Maybe that's just everything that's going on with it is just very pine flavors. Oh, wow. That is a massive hit of pine flavor right there. Yeah. Right. You know, I haven't had any in a little bit and it's just kind of like came in and just went, I'm on your tongue. So. <laughs> no, I, I, 10 barrels brewing. We've, we've been out there before. Oh yeah. They do some good stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like this and I think it's quite appropriate because you know, <laughs> apocalypse. It is an apocalypse issue. It is. Yeah. And to tell us about this apocalypse issue, why don't you uh, tell us about the opening credits, if you please? Power Pack, issue number 35, February 1988, Life or Death. Credits, told with a thrill by Louise Simonson, penciled with a chill by John Bogdanov, inked without a spill by Hilary Barta, lettered with a quill by Joe Rosen, colored with a goodwill by Glennis Oliver, edited with skill by Carl Potts. Delivered with a pill to Tom DeFalco. Featuring Power Pack. Alex Power, a.k.a. Destroyer, disintegrates matter, turning it into energy, which he can expel into power balls. Julie Power, a.k.a. Molecula, mistress of density, controls her molecular density. Jack Power, a.k.a. Counterweight, increases or decreases the gravity of objects he touches. Katie Power, a.k.a. Starstreak, flies very fast, leaving a rainbow trail behind her. Guest starring... X-Factor, Cyclops, he shoots force beams out of his eyes, and Marvel Girl, who has telekinesis. Let's set some of this up, shall we? This is a Fall of the Mutants crossover. At this time in the X-Books, there were some big changes occurring, and instead of having a big crossover event, each of the three titles at this time, the X-Men, the New Mutants, and X-Factor, had some story arcs they were running. Power Pack is crossing over with the X-Factor one. Right. This involved the introduction of the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse. The main bad guy, Apocalypse, had been quietly gathering four mutants to represent pestilence, famine, war, and death. The remaining team of X-Factor was captured, and the big bad A surprised the heroes by showing them that he had faked the death of their former teammate, Angel, and turned him into death. Which I think we can all agree is one of the most interesting things that has ever happened to that character. Well, X-Factor escaped, but in doing so, they damaged the giant ship they were on, which will shortly be introduced in this story. And with that, let's talk about how much fun the Power Kids are having being grounded. Yeah, um, that would be a big fat zero. Zero fun is being had, except for Katie, who is enjoying rubbing it in their faces that they are grounded while she is not. Ring, ring. Even to the point where she flies over to answer the phone because they can't, because they are grounded while she is not. Wow, look at those sour faces. Well, yeah, Katie is also making him watch the Goo Gams. Again, because they are grounded while she is not. Got the point yet? Because the other kids sure do, as Katie brings it up at literally every chance she can to annoy them. And it is working. As the other power kids gripe at the kid sister, Katie pours on the charm with her dad on the phone. He is at a symposium on world disarmament SETI and theoretical physics. You know... That's scientific kegger. He seems to be getting out of it late, and it seems that their mother is also on her way home, but not there yet. And it is at that moment that the lights all go out. This actually improves the mood of the male kids, because who doesn't want to be in a blackout? Julie. Julie doesn't want to be in a blackout, because it's hard to read a book in the dark. 
While Katie continues to provide instructions from their dad, the other three reenact a Marx Brothers routine as they go... Rattle bump! Searching for... Crunch bump! A flashlight and a radio... Thud bong swamp! In the dark... Clong! Tweak hong! Smash! Key rash! Boink! This ends with the three of them tangled in a heap with Alex's hand in a garbage can. Not one to let a good can of trash go to waste, he disintegrates enough of it to become his own flashlight. Uh, we can see now, Daddy. Using their powers, the kids right the minorly destroyed apartment and find the battery-operated radio and flashlight. The later is buried in a box with the failed prototype power pack signal light that the boys had tried to make. You kids ain't reached enough to be Batman, and Commissioner Gordon doesn't want to install a red phone in your study, so stop it. While the bickering continues about touching other people's stuff and the proper use of the family's limited emergency gear, Jack is... Oh, what a feeling when he's walking on the ceiling. Oh, what a feeling when he's walking on the ceiling. Come on. Stop it. Jack is also listening to the radio. We find out that the power is out everywhere and everyone is stranded. We also get this tidbit from Katie after she gets off the phone. Daddy says to tell you to remember not to go out because you're grounded. We know! The kids wait by the window, listening to the terrible news on the radio and looking at the dark city. There are reports of explosions and people getting sick and something about four flying apparitions calling themselves the Horsemen of Apocalypse. In the dark of the city, the kids can see the explosions. Jack, like usual, is ready to head out and do some superheroing and find their mom. Alex doubts that they can find her and that they would be spotted if they tried. While those two fight, Katie decides to take matters into her own hands. She grabs a flashlight and heads out into the dark and dangerous night. Why? Why would she do that? I'm not grounding because Daddy said I was too little to be responsible, so I'll go. Costume on! Oh, okay. So, yeah, uh, I guess that's why. Well, Katie just dives right into the dark subway, and after flying through pure darkness with just a flashlight in her rainbow trail, she finds herself in one of the lower circles of hell. Uh, actually, it's just a seriously escherized version of a train junction. Like I said, multiple tracks cross over, under, and down by each other in the giant orange-tinted Indiana Jones ride. Tons of trains are stopped, and flying amidst it all is an old woman wearing a golden mask, all red, riding a golden mechanical flying horse. And she is screaming. I am pestilence. Know me. Fear me. I bring sickness. I bring death. Well, I did not know about her, but I think I understand this villain pretty well from her 13-word biography. And to put a point on it, she flies by the stop subway cars, trailing her hands by the window, and the trapped passengers begin to scream out about their ailments and afflictions. Okay, so what is Katie, a young child with a fairly passive power, and a flashlight going to do now? If you answered, stick the flashlight under her chin, pull up her nose, and say, You're an ugly, stupid, mean, pig-nosed supervillain. Can't catch me. Nya, 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 nya. Then you are also a young child, or just afflicted by a very childish nature. Sorry if that offends, but those are just the rules that we have to live by. The taunt is followed by some confusing head-turning ribbon-flying and then a hasty retreat out of the tunnels and away from the passengers, with pestilence flying right behind her. Dang, not bad, girl! You pulled Agar on a boss mob to get away from a bunch of DNPCs! But Katie is really just hanging on. She is scared, and her bright idea is now turning into a game of chicken with a brick wall in the tight tunnels. She pulls up and reverses course at the last second, causing this horse lady to slam into the wall but not before she gives a glancing touch to our little star streak. Gotcha! Katie makes it out of the subway tunnel, but she is feeling sick. In fact, she is so sick that she crashes into an open dumpster, feeling ill and depressed that she will not be able to find her mom. She also sees pestilence fly out of the tunnel, so her plan worked, and she knows that her mommy's safe now. Hooray! Hooray! Meanwhile, back at the apartment, home of the grounded good guys. While these three stand there in the not-dark of Destroyer's glow, waiting for their sister to return, moaning the fact that they should have stopped her from leaving, they spot something kind of out of the ordinary. You know, more out of the ordinary than a blacked-out city in explosions, that is. Is it a flying Model T? No. Are you crazy? It's more like a flying Chrysler. That is bigger than the Chrysler building. I really think that Jack encapsulated the feeling for exactly what they are seeing with the pithy statement, 
Holy cow! Yeah, could not have said that any better myself. Well, this flying Spaceballs prop reject is flying through the air in exactly the way big things are not supposed to. And it is obviously alien. And so the rest of Power Pack decides that they are no longer grounded. And they jump out the window after it with a mighty... Costumes on! But how are they going to find their babe in the big city? Well, Alex has an idea, and blasts off a powerball under the big ship, positing that Katie should be able to see it and come to them, instead of looking for a Katie needle in a New York haystack. Hmm, not bad thinking, Alex. And you know what? It actually works! The very sick and very scared Katie flies up toward the light. Wait, wait, Katie, don't do it! You have so much life left in you! You are wrong, but also not so wrong. Luckily for her, the rest of her family see the unsteady flyer and quickly head to her. Jack catches her as she passes out, and the family gently floats to a nearby roof. And they all start feeling ill. Wait, wait, are you saying that this villain can cause such a sickness that it can spread from its targets just by touch or proximity? That is almost biblical. Well, yeah, that's kind of the idea. But the kids are not worried about the etiology or reason for the sickness, because they are already ill. Katie has completely passed out, and the rest feel that they will be collapsing soon. But then, they remember what Katie told them about healing herself on Snark World. So, the three older ones huddle over their passed out sister and start thinking healing thoughts. Not sick, not sick, not sick. In a perfect world, the kids would take their time, maybe light some incense, play some Enya or other soft music, be a nice herbal tea. But in this world, the giant alien ship has started to careen out of control, and the tail of the ship is swinging directly towards the roof where they are kumbayaing. Luckily, their healing spell has worked. Life meters are near full, and their party member has been revived. And just in time. Chrome! The kids fly up out of the way of the building-smashing ship and quickly start to help stop the falling debris and saving the people on the ground. Good job, kids! Yeah, they did not cause the problem, and yet they are on hand to save the people on the ground. Who did cause this problem? I mean, who the heck is trying to parallel park this Star Destroyer on Broadway Avenue when it seems like they don't even have their learner's permit yet? Well, I'm glad you asked, Rick. It is X-Factor. That's all you're gonna say? Yeah, this is a Power Pack comic, not X-Factor, so that is plenty of backstory. But I will say that these kids are cleaning up after the adults, like usual. Well, speaking of X-Factor, the kids follow this erratic super fortress across the city and watch as it knocks the antenna off the top of the Empire State Building. And they see Cyclops and Marvel Girl floating next to the broken antenna. And Marvel Girl is keeping it afloat with her telekinesis, which is a fancy way of saying, lifting brain magic, or mind bullets, Kyle. And this is where there is one of two crossovers with X-Factor number 25. In that book, we see Walt Simonson draw his own version of the same scene from some slightly different viewpoints. I encourage you to go and look at the pages next to each other. It's uh, really kind of neat. Like a bad cold in a house with a small child, Pestilence has shown back up, and she is here to cause some trouble. She heads towards Marvel Girl and touches her. But as she does, Julie does a successful Julie Hammer. Hooray! Hooray! Let's say that again. Julie does a successful Julie hammer. Continue to hooray! And knocks the bad guy off her flying mount, causing her to start her fall of hundreds of feet to the ground below. Hooray! Katie quickly flies down, down to Pestilence Town, pouring on speed to catch the villain before she goes splat. Meanwhile, a really freaky skull-faced man in blue with red racing stripes and metal wings screams into view, heading towards the members of X-Factor. But instead of hitting them, he slices through the antenna, cutting it in half. This is death. So we have death and pestilence in this issue. Actually, he is Warren Worthington III, formerly Angel formerly a member of X-Factor, and formerly dead. Everyone thought that he had died in a plane explosion after his wings had been amputated, but he was actually kidnapped and modified to be death. Back to the action. There is now a section of the antenna falling to the ground. Alex destroys half of it, but the other half is falling directly at Katie, who has caught pestilence and is trying to fly her to safety. But... Wonk. Katie gets out of the way. But pestilence is smacked from her grasp by the plummeting part. Squidge. All of the heroes float to the ground where Julie is comforting a truly upset Katie near Pestilence's body. She is dead, pinned by the debris. Katie tried. Even though she was trying to save her, Pestilence was still making her sick. 
and she was heavy load for the pint-sized power. Luckily, Marvel Girl comes over and gives her some words of encouragement. Maybe Pestilence did not want to be saved. Maybe, deep down in her soul, she hated what she had become, and this was her way out. Maybe, just maybe, she deserved it? The two members of X-Factor provide some more context about what is going on with Apocalypse, his four horsemen, and the danger the city is in. Cyclops has commandeered the flying horse, and he and Marvel Girl fly up to confront the big bad in the ship, but they tell Power Pack that it is up to them to protect the city. It is really cool that they treat the kids like actual heroes, and they take it to heart as they look up and see the out-of-control ship heading towards the Statue of Liberty. They notice that there are still people stuck in the statue's crown, but they first try and use Jack's G-Power to pull the ship up, but it does not work. Too much momentum. So they decide to split the party. Julie and Alex stay on the ship while Katie and Jack go to the statue to rescue people. Alex actually has a pretty solid plan. He starts to disintegrate the part of the ship's tail that is going to hit Lady Liberty, filling up with energy, then releasing it at the same section, blowing it up. The damage is significant, but the tilting ship will still crush the landmark. So Alex does it again. Then the ship tilts pretty significantly. And again, in the X-Factor issue, we get to see that the team's views of the weird physics and explosions that they just cannot figure out in their own separate books. By now, the ship is going almost vertical, so Alex and Julie are calling for help. Luckily, Katie and Jack have completed their mission, and quickly fly to catch Alex as the now-shortened ship misses the statue and tail lands upright in the Hudson. Splash! Majestic. It holds like this for a moment before the nose feels the relentless pull of gravity and heads towards the Manhattan across the river. Kersplunch! Swamping Liberty Island and all surrounding real estate. The kids fly toward the front of the ship where they see X-Factor. Wait, you're not going to comment on my orientation awesomeness? The kids fly towards the front of the ship where they see X-Factor walk out of the wrecked vehicle. They also hear them talking to reporters, telling them that they were hiding as the mutant hunters known as X-Factor to find and protect mutants. The kids talk about this as they head home, looking at the city as the power starts to come back on. Thinking about X-Factor, the kids talk again about their own secret identities and lying to their parents. It always comes back around to this, doesn't it? Well, the kids fly into their apartment and let out a hurried costumes costumes off. off. Just as their tired and exhausted mother walks in, the kids tackle Hugger. She confirms that she was just ahead of some of the trains where people got sick, but she is fine. As she sits down, Katie comes forward to admit that she went out to look for her, and that the others had to leave the house to get her back. She says that she would understand if she was grounded too. But her mom is so happy that the others had the sense to go and get her, and that they are all safe, that she is not mad. She just hugs her little girl, holding her tight and smiling. Next issue, Franklin comes to sleep over. Yay! But the Master Mold comes to find Frank. Oh, no! Plus, special appearance by the original Fantastic Four. And we'll have a guest here, too. <gasps> Gasp! Is the guest going to be a surprise? Or are we going to... Oh, we could say it's Matt Lazarus from the WMQ podcast. So a complete surprise. Complete surprise. <laughs> Do your homework, guys. <laughs> uh, but for now... Let's talk about the Power Pack packaging time. I like it. Thank you. So uh, I'm going to bring up two covers, actually, because I'm going to talk a little bit about X-Factor 25 at the Mm -hmm. same time as we're talking about Power Pack 35. But for now, let's talk about this lovely, lovely cover of Power Packs 35. I like this cover a lot. Oh, it is a great looking cover. Yeah. It's Uh, uh, not quite accurate, but it's... If you take it in parts, it's like, oh, the kids got sick. Yeah, um, Marvel Girl did some telekinesis. Hey, there's Pestilence facing off against a flying Katie. Yeah, and the Statue of Liberty. So, yeah, all the parts are there. They're just kind of mashed together in a jambalaya. It gives you the real impression of what this of what's going on in this issue. And this is, again, by Bog and Barda, John Bogdanov and Hillary Barda. You know, follow the mutants tie-in. But, yeah, it, it's it's really kind of cool. It's like you got the three older kids who look sick and they're being held up by Marvel Girl, who also is looking sick, and Marvel Girl's got her telekinesis. Scott's holding her up. And Katie, looking very angry, is flying right at Pestilence. All this is in front of the Statue of Liberty. And in the background, you see some parts of Apocalypse's ship. So, yeah, it's very action-packed. There's it a is. lot here. There's a lot going on. And, I it's mean, got you know, a cool kind of upward angle on it, too. Yeah, guest-starring X-Factor and yeah. Fall of the Mutants tie-in and, and buy our book. Buy, buy our, our book. book. <laughs> um, 
On the other side of this, you know, coin, as it were, we have the Fall of the Mutants X-Factor page. And uh, this doesn't tell us that Power Pack's in there, which yeah, it should have, because that's just going to, you know, raise know, the value. Oh, man, that is just, uh, <laughs> that is going to make wallets clunk on counters. Yeah, I mean, that is just going to, yeah. <laughs> this one is done by uh, Walt Simonson, and it's got, uh, you got the four horsemen of apocalypse, you know, death. And the other three horsemen in the background, <laughs> but, sorry, death and, and you know war and pestilence and famine, they're all in the background. You've got Apocalypse standing on over the uh, fallen bodies of Iceman, Cyclops, and Beast, and he's holding Marvel up by her hair, which just looks painful. But it's a Walt Simonson cover. I mean, just... Walt does good stuff. Does good stuff. So yeah, that's kind of like the main book. This is book number three in the three-issue Fall of the Mutants saga. The the next book is kind of a little cleanup, but this is this is kind of finishing up X Factor's version of the Fall of the Mutants. Uh, and I gotta say, X Factor's Fall of the Mutants is probably the best of the three. Okay. Some people might put the X Men up there, but I think, in my own personal opinion, I think X Men's Fall of the Mutant is number two, and then New Mutants is number three because. All right. Well, hey, everybody's uh, able to voice their own opinion. Sure, but my opinion know. is that I know that I have read these and I don't remember anything about them. And my opinion's right. So you know that's all there that matters. Really. Yeah, that's <laughs> the important part. That is really the important part. So let's talk more about the art in this book. Okay, um, it's good. It's good. It's really good. John Bogdanoff is hitting it out of the park, and it's really good. It's really detailed. Uh, like we said last issue, our last episode, it was a little bit of a bottle issue. Mm-hmm. So maybe you know. They had a little more time to work on this. Louis Simonson was really busy with the X Factor of All the Mutants tie-ins. I, he might have put a little more time into this book. Like I said, it's really kind of cool putting the X Factor scenes up against these because you got Walt Simonson, who's got very distinctive art style, yeah. and you got John Bogdanoff, and you can tell that they were working somewhat in mm-hmm. together on it because there's a lot of scenes that are really close. Yeah, it's kind of like take a you know take a scene out of the Power Pack book, go over to the X Factor book, and you're looking at it from you know like from Psych and uh, Marvel Girls you know viewpoint. So it's the exact same scene with the like the exact same dialogue going on. It's just you're over you know you're looking south, we're looking north. Yeah, yeah. I think it just shows you how good John Bogdanov is. I mean, all of the scenes, especially looking at the last issue that we looked at, all oh, the scenes yeah. have a lot of detail in the background. Even the ones where Katie is flying in pitch dark. Oh, they look it, great. They look really good. The, the, it's pure black with just the nice pieces of light that are really popping yeah, out. The rainbow, the yellow, the costume, the flashlight beam. Yeah. The, the the orange tint of the underground, yeah. the the giant size of the spaceship. Uh, there's just some fantastic, fantastic art and scenes in here, and it's action. It, there's not that much of this book that is quiet, com- contemplative, no. sitting around talking. It's action, action, action. Yeah, I mean, no. even when the kids are healing themselves, there's action going on oh, behind no. them. Yeah, it only takes about two panels for them to heal themselves. But that is kind of one of the surprising things in this book is. I read it and I was like, oh yeah, it had kind of a, a slow startup where they were like, oh, I'm talking to dad, lights go out, they're looking for a flashlight, they're kind of doing some things. Did I, no, that was just two pages, basically, mm-hmm. two, three pages, and it was just boom, right into it. Yeah. yeah. So, and even in then, stuff was going on, and they're like, oh, it's just a blackout. And Jack's like, no, the radio's saying there's explosions, people are getting sick, there's four apparitions. Oh man, what about mom? Yeah, go, 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 go. Yeah. There's a good combination here between Louise Simonson's writing. John Bogdanov's art. You can tell there's a lot of love in here because it's tying in her other project, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is X-Factor, X-Factor. And she's tying the stories really close together. It makes sense mm-hmm. how they're tying together. It actually, you know, this big thing's happening in New York City. She gets power pack involved because they live there. It's amazing that more yeah, people are not getting involved. Not, yeah. yeah, you would think, uh, I think if it was done, it was... Yeah, if it was done now, it'd be just this, sure. you know, six-month crossover event of start new titles and everything. Well, I don't think not with something like Fall of the Mutes, but I mean, it's more well, of a... I'm just thinking of how yeah. they do stuff now. It's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It must be summer because we're going to have six months of entire universe-changing storyline that probably doesn't really matter. Well, a lot of that stuff did come from some of the things, crossovers that they did in the mutant books, but okay, yeah. yeah. Um, Use of the healing powers. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that because mm-hmm. we've dabbled in it a bit, but this is the first time the entire family has come together and actually used that. Yeah, and we're able to apparently uh, trigger Katie's 
healing yeah. ability as well, which is neat. Uh, yeah, what frustrated me on this is Katie was even thinking about it. She's like, Burrell taught me how to you know heal myself when I got really hurt on Snark World. How did I do that? Because she forgot. It's like, oh, well, come on, Katie. She's also really sick, Yeah, too, she's also and, and sick. She's also, yeah. Well, she's five. Well. Yeah. So I, it, it makes sense. And plus, it does show that they heal faster together. Yes. Once again, this is this is one person's powers that have been split up between four people. Yeah, and it's something that. that we kind of forget. Yeah, so that's we true. can we can actually say that the, the magic of the chameleon powers it does work better when they're yeah, all together. That there's a, be a really good synergy going on, and that right. it, it yeah, if you're activating a bit of your power, it's going to activate the others better. Yeah, it's, it'd be a building effect. I could totally see that. That's yeah. actually a really good point that I hadn't thought of. That's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I really wanted to talk about is. I keep going back to the last issue that we did uh, with Madcap, and I just can't help but think that that issue should have come after this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because be, yeah. it would make more sense. You've got Katie who kind of runs off, and, and she does something irresponsible, and next issue she does something even more irresponsible, yeah. and then she starts to realize what responsibility means. Mm-hmm. Plus, all the kids are not grounded anymore, yeah. and I, I just see it as being more of a it wouldn't feel so out of place, but you know, you have to put the bottled episode wherever you put the bottled episode. Yeah, it's that. And I think it very much just kind of probably came along the lines too, where they're like, Oh, we, this tie in needs to happen. Whatever a month or I think at this point they were every two months. Yeah. You know, it's like this issue needs to happen two months from now. We can't have this out on the stands. Right. Two months ago, when the big storyline's happening, then what can we put here? Oh, you got to, yeah, put it, just drop something in, whatever. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Great story. Great story. I think we're going to be talking a little bit more about art and the where the story fits in a little bit. Yep, we will. That's kind of the show. That's kind of the show. It's a show. Let's break out the library card then. Julie was reading a book at the beginning, uh, but I can't really see what it is at all. Yeah, it was basically yeah. just uh, shapes on a on a book. Yeah, purple book. She, she was reading something. She was reading book. A book. A book. So that being said, I I went ahead and just decided that we're going to look at the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse mm-hmm. because let's talk about Revelations. Let's talk about the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse. Let's talk a little bit about who these characters are. They are described in the last books of the New Testament of the Bible, the book of Revelations, by John of Palmos. And this is at uh, chapter 6, passages 1 through 8. And let me just go ahead and read these. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering, and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and to a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. I found it interesting that there have been many interpretations of these horsemen over the years, and I wanted to focus on how it has changed depending upon the literary context. The first horseman is now seen as pestilence or plague. This is a newer interpretation, only really documented since the early 1900s. In the past, the rider of the white horse has been seen as Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Antichrist, and even war. It is interesting to note that the Roman Empire saw it as prosperity due to their own symbology of the white horse. The second horseman is war upon a red horse. The sword being held upright is a powerful symbol that has influenced the interpretation, but there are some that argue it is more representative of civil war than war in general. The third horseman sitting upon the black horse is famine. Some have seen this as a lawgiver holding the scales of justice. 
I like how the symbology shows not the destruction of food, but causing the cost for food to rise, controlling the supply, and allowing only the rich to afford substance. The fourth and final horseman is the rider of the pale horse. You know, Johnny Cash. Uh, no, no, wait. Uh, I mean death. Now I have When the Man Comes Around stuck in my head, and so do you. This line to describe the fourth horseman has been used repeatedly in pop culture to describe or show a literal or a figurative version of death, or a real tough guy. As far as historical context, the theory or visage of death was similar throughout cultures, and is a character that is still prevalent today. But biblical references and stories are broadly evident throughout the Western world. No matter what denomination of beliefs, stories have always been a way to describe natural or unexplained phenomena. And even though you can usually find a cause and effect for things happening, the idea that these concepts were written as physical manifestations can sometimes make the experience easier to understand. That's my breakdown of Revelations in a short little time. Get me out of the biblical fear and take me into science fear, please. Well, you're in luck because my science that I'm going to talk about will get you out of there really handily because it's about a conveyance. In this issue, we had Katie fly off to see if she could find her mom in a subway during a blackout. Now, this got me thinking, mostly about what an extremely bad idea that was, but it also got me wondering about how subways work. At first glance, a subway is simple. It's a train that runs through a tunnel. Most of the time, the train consists of several connecting cars that contain durable seats as well as poles and straps for people to hold on to when the train is full. The train runs on rails, which often have the same gauge as other rail systems around the city. In New York City, for example, the subway's track gauge is 4 feet 8.5 inches, which is the same as major railroad tracks. This allows the subway to connect to other railways. Subway systems have an extensive collection of signs and signals to help drivers operate the train safely. Signs mark everything from speed limits to locations of fire extinguishers. Signals typically use colored lights to let drivers know when to stop, whether the track ahead of them is occupied, and when to proceed with caution. Infrared sensors, capacitance plates, or short circuits created by the car's wheels can let a signal know when a train is present. That signal can communicate with adjacent signals, ensuring that two trains do not try to occupy the same section of track at the same time. In most existing subways, the trains, tunnel lights, and station equipment all run on electricity. Overhead wires or an electrified rail known as the third rail supplies power to the trains. The third rail lies outside or between the subway tracks, and a wheel, brush, or sliding shoe carries the power from the rail to the train's electric motor. In the New York City subway system, a third rail carries 625 volts of electricity, and the original lines required their own power plant to operate. A series of cables and substations carry the electricity from the power plant to the third rail. Some signals also use physical mechanisms to make sure the drivers obey them. For example, some signals can physically activate an emergency brake on a subway train if the driver continues past a stop signal. In the original New York City subway tunnels, drivers had to use a key to reset stop signals before they could proceed. Electrical power also controls the subway's ventilation system. Many subway systems include numerous sections of above-ground track and station entrances that are open to the air. However, natural air circulation from these sources isn't enough to keep the air and the tunnels breathable. Subways have an extensive series of fans and air shafts that circulate fresh air. The amount of circulation required is immense. The planned ventilation system to be included in the New York City subway upgrade will move more than 600,000 cubic feet of fresh air every minute. So... That's a bit of information on subways, and that's Science Corner. Nice! From the heavens to the ground, we speak it all. Now we're going to talk about power thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> all right, refrigerator gallery. What piece of art in this book needs to be on the family refrigerator besides all of it? All of it. All right, let's talk about a couple of funny ones each. We're going to okay. limit ourselves. Yep, yep, yep. What do you have for your funny ones? My joke backup one is on page seven. Uh-huh. And I call it Pig Nose. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yep, that's on the uh, upper left-hand corner, and that is Katie after she's seen Pestilence getting subway cars full of people sick, and to, you know, pull aggro on her, she puts the flashlight under her chin and pulls up her nose and goes, yeah, 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 to her, basically. And I thought that's just, you, you gotta I, put that I, in, that's gotta be a joke. I think that we're gonna see this one again. <laughs> yeah. I want you to look at the picture right next to it, because that's my backup one, and I call it... Ribbon Dance. Which way did she go, George? Which way did she go? <laughs> <laughs> so you got Katie flying all around Pestilence and just ribboning her all up with her 
uh, Rainbow Trail, and Pestilence's head is going back and forth, yep. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. She's a, she even has a question mark over her head. She's yep. so whipped around and confused. I just thought that was quite, quite funny. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. What do we got for the number one? My top joke one is on page nine. All right. And it is the uh, bottom four-fifths of the page, and I call it, Dude, where's my car? (laughs) (laughs) And this is when the uh, other power siblings are in their apartment, and their radio is kind of kicking out. So they're looking up to see what's going on, and you see the giant, uh, you know, apocalypse you know, spaceship or whatever it is, his giant, giant plank of a ship that's floating in the air. And literally the front of it really looks like headlights and a grill of like Rick was saying earlier, a Chrysler. So, and, and I like the black Kirby dots around the back. Oh there, the yeah. Cosmic dots. Cosmic dots. Yeah. That's very Kirby esque. So, uh, my top one is first page. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's nice looking. It's a nice looking one. And I loved it because I labeled this as we hate her. So <laughs> much. Yeah. It's a cool picture because the phone's ringing and Katie is using her power to jump from the seat and fly across the room to get it. And the look of pure hatred that each one of the other kids is giving her is yeah. awesome. Each and every one. All the other kids are reading a book and glaring at her with yeah intense loathing in their eyes while the TV shows Goo Gams in the background. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. So it's kind of funny to look back and see like the uh, big old cathode ray TV. Uh, you know, that's just huge, but the screen's still small. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> time keeps on a passing and technology old TV keeps cart on rolling there on. and the yeah, big old VCR. Yeah. That's a TV cart. Yeah. That's a top load VCR cart. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Top load VCR. All right. What about the best ones? <laughs> Which is once again, all of them. Yeah. All of them. My, uh, backup best one is on page two. All right. And it is the, uh, bottom right corner and I call it <sighs> dark lights, big city. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that is after the you know, the blackout has just happened and you get to see the you know, the uh outlined kind of Chessar cat grins on the boys' faces, you know, Jack's especially. You get to see, you know, like Jack's eyes is all illuminated, he's smiling, you know, in kind of a, like the reverse colors for being in the dark, and Julie's eyes are wide open, like, Oh my goodness, we're in a blackout. How am I gonna read my book? And, yeah. and and you know and Alex is over on the side you know at the side profile just saying oh I've always wanted to be in a blackout so it's it is a very striking image it's yep. it's really cool it's very small too and it's, yeah it's, yeah, using it's the just black a small little corner thing really well it does really well I just I think what I, I really love in that is uh, Julie's startled eyes and Jack's Cheshire grin so <laughs> I'm gonna move you forward to page six okay and this one is called pestilence this is the Escher esque uh scene in the train kind of it's where all the trains are going right over each other and all the tracks are kind of laid out on top of each other and it's this deep orange color and there's some steam that looks like fire coming up it looks like a level of he double hockey sticks yeah it's a a, a dante's inferno yeah you see katie coming out of the little tunnel in the far bottom corner there and it's just it's a very cool scene. Oh, it's I, great. I, I even like the uh, the way the roof on it looks. It looks very cave-like. Gothic? Yeah, very gothic, very cave-like, yeah. very, you know, yeah, it's it kind of teethy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great choice. That's a really good-looking one. Top one, buddy. What's your best in here? My top one is on page 14, and I call it It's a Party, and Everybody's Invited. All right. Yeah, this is a scene where you first get to see uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey floating in the sky, holding up the... Uh, broken down part of the uh, antenna of the uh, Empire State Building and you see Power Pack and you see Pestilence riding her mechanical horse. It's just got everybody in it, save for death. And it's just like, wow, that it, it just looks great. Bogdanov's ver- it, it's it's almost uh, photorealistic. Well, the, the, the Empire the, State Building yeah, has got the, that the photorealistic antenna. look. Yeah, Yeah, it is. In fact, it might have just been a kind of a grayscaled photo of yeah. the uh, antenna that he just put on a side and slapped in there it just it looks great flip over to the next page and the bottom of page 15 you see my top one. Oh yeah and it's death yeah it's it's death swinging in and cutting that antenna in half yep we don't have power pack in this one at all it's just it's cyclops and marvel girl and it's death and he's got his hands kind of clawed up yeah and he's straight as an arrow and he's screaming and it's i kept coming back to this this picture just because it's it's so visceral 
Yeah, and he's got his really cool uh, open mouth skull mask on too. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's yeah, that's a good one. That it, it, many of these were on my list. Yes, many were really good, <laughs> and you picked a great one. So yeah. All right, rubber and glue moments. What is the best or most childish insult? I know what our top one is. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I will be surprised if it's not. What I'm is your, sure we uh, picked the same one. My backup one is on page seven as well. Oh, okay. My uh, backup's but, on page four. So okay, so you my backup. Do your backup? We'll do yours first. Okay. My backup rubber or glue moment is on page four, and it is Julie talking to the boys after she found the flashlight they were looking for. And she says, I found it. It was buried in that box of stuff from when you dumb boys were making that dumb power pack signal light. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't put it back where it belongs. Just dumb, dumb boys. Dumb. dumb project. Thought that was pretty fantastic and great. <laughs> I like that one, yeah. but I think we can do better. You think so? I huh? think so. Uh, so we're going to start on page seven with my backup, and then we'll go to the one I know we got together. And it's Pestilence saying, and you're a little superhero brat, are you, girly? Yeah. Little superhero brat, girly. Yeah. You got a couple things in there. Yeah. And it's and, and I like the girly. It's, it's using that old-timey way and really... Kind of making it an insult as well. Oh, yeah. Big yep. time. And then, of course, uh, well, we'll just put my daughter in here saying it. It's on page seven. And it's Katie putting her uh, nose up. You're an ugly, stupid, mean, pig-nosed supervillain. Can't catch me. We can't get any better than that. No, that was pretty great. Yeah, that's, uh, that is just a great line. That yeah. is a great, great insult. All right. We know the insults. We know the images. Now let's talk about who's the best kid and who's the worst kid. Mm, okay. Uh, I want to go into this one with reservations, saying that everybody was pretty great. Everybody was pretty great. Literally, I want to put everybody in the uh, star pupil spot. Yes. But I think I think Power Pack on a whole did a really good job this issue. I mean, they saw there were problems in the city. They went out and were saving people. Yeah. They yeah. just did. A, again, this is an amazing issue. This is an amazing book. It really, really is. So, But we still have to have a detention child. So I'm going to say that my detention child is Katie. Really? Yes. Okay. I think I can see why. Yeah. Again, this is with reservations. Sure. Everybody was amazing. Even the bad things, most of the bad things that Katie did, it was like, oh, I'm just going to leave the house yeah. and take the, the only flashlight in this ill-prepared house and I'm going to go find my mom. It's like, yeah. that is just a terrible idea, little child. But she did get to the area where her mom was. She did draw Pestilence off. Yeah. She did, in fact, save her mom because Pestilence was going to get everybody in the subway sick. Right. So it's like, yeah, that was a good thing, but also a bad thing. And then there's also the aspect at the end that, well, you know, well, Katie forgot how she used her healing powers on herself. We'll say she's sick. Yeah. Okay. At the very end, and this is why, you never reward a narc. <laughs> the very end, mom comes in, says, oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. You've just been in the, the dark alone by yourselves, huh? Was it scary? And Katie's like, well, let me tell you. You know, and, and 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 just said that they went out of the apartment. They could have just actually, she could have just she, said they were there and it's fine. She said that she went out. Yeah. The other kids said that they followed her. Well, she said it, just, she no. It was actually Katie that said she went out, but then the other ones went and followed her, even though they they knew they they were grounded, and that uh, you know if she wanted to be right. grounded as well, if they wanted to ground Katie but, as well, then that's okay. But the thing is, but, is that. It, it, she still was setting her her brothers and sister up for success. Yeah. Oh, she was. No. And again, and, and, and uh, she was being a detention honest. kid in this yeah. with massive reservations. Nobody was like, you know. And, and she was also rubbing in the "ha, you're grounded, I'm not" kind of thing, which is fine. That's a sibling deal. But it was just like there was just a touch enough to go. Okay, everybody was amazing, but somebody's got to, you know, yeah. you know, somebody's going to miss out on the seat. So see, and I decided to go for Julie. Oh, okay. I could see that. And my thing is, is that it really was Julie that caused Pestilence's death. Uh, she's yeah. the one that knocked. Well, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can she, see yeah, what she was Julie doing. Hammer. Well, she had to learn the lesson Jack learned yes. from the Angelo, uh, dragon, you know, dragon man's Same saga. Move. Same exact move from a height. Smack them off their, you know, their building structure or their horse or whatever, and they're going to plummet to their death. Yeah. yeah. So it was the exact same lesson. Yeah. And I Jack just, had, you know, Jack it, learned many you know, she issues. She finally ago. successfully used her her power, and yeah. she she's the one who killed somebody. I mean, 
Katie was trying to save her. Yeah. So well, Katie probably would have saved her, but then even then pestilence was making her sick. Sure. But then you could also blame uh, you know, death because death cut the building in half. That you know, apocalypse rammed into the building. Uh, yeah, Angel cut is, the thing in half. The building chunk fell down. He's he's the bad guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it, so it was still just like there were many things that led to the demise right. of pestilence. I just it started that the dominoes really started yeah. with uh, Julie on that one. Yeah, there, it was just one of those things where well, if only this had been different. But you could say that with so many things in right. life. There was there was a there was a uh, you know final destination that had to happen. <laughs> Uh, with that and the dominoes fell where they fell which led to you know pestilence being killed now i was interested that you said katie because katie was my best kid okay Uh, again Uh, i could see that because of multiple reasons she was reckless at the beginning but she was really doing a lot of good stuff yeah and and i think that you said that you know she took the only flashlight yeah but by that time, yeah, J- Alex, Alex was a yeah, flashlight. Yeah, you know, exactly. they, they were know. they were just fine. They were fine. I know. It was just the fact that she was like, "You're grounded. I'll go save mom." It's yeah. Like, um. Okay, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, who's your favorite kid? My favorite kid was actually Alex. I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, Alex had a lot of good stuff going on. First of all, wow, he's got some power going on because he. You look at the damage he did to Apocalypse's ship, and he could have destroyed Apocalypse's ship. Plain and simple. It's like, yeah, it's giant. It's the size of an island. But he could have wrecked that up really good because with two shots, he tore off a well, gigantic chunk. And yeah, then shot blast. and disintegrated yeah, disintegrated and shot. shot. And, yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, he's using the power pretty much exactly what it's for to yeah. destroy oh, yeah. and, and suck down energy so yeah i, I can definitely see it um yeah. yeah he did a lot of good things there he also at the very end he volunteered saying uh he said yeah if you want to ground us more because we went out after katie sure. you know we deserve it go for it i think we, we can go for for all of these ones but not bad not bad do you really want to talk about g-force yeah actually i do it was uh Zero G's in here, which you could find in, uh, I don't know, uh, Jack's lunchbox, because that's where he keeps all of his G's, because he's poor. <laughs> and then uh, the G average is now 0.88, which is the surface gravity of Uranus, which is not a joke, but the seventh planet from the sun. And that still holds our G total at 31. And that's that's our G's. G-Bomber has given up his G-ing ways. I am going to put my foot down and say that we may have to drop this once uh, Louis Simonson leaves. Okay, I'm All good right. with that. Now we want to top grade this. We we want to figure out where this is at. And uh, I, I'm going to be honest, we've been spending a lot of time down near the bottom portion of the list. Yeah, but the past I, chunk. I, I think I want to scroll on up. Oh, go high, go high, my go friend. Go high. Like I, the I, saying goes, go high or go home. I think we can definitely say that this is in the top three somewhere. Probably. Let's see what this is. Top one is issue number 25, Power Trip, and that's, that's the, the end of the Snarks Wars. End of the Snark War. Kids yeah, got, kids got new, new powers. powers. Uh, um, number two is the Thanksgiving issue, mm-hmm. number 19, which was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That was pretty fantastic. And then we have number 27, which was the Mutant Massacre in the Morlock Tunnels, which is Who's Power. This is really good. Right there we have the comparable one, which is the Mutant Massacre. It's the other uh, mutant crossover event. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, how does it compare to that? Do we want to say it's better than that one? I think this is better than that. I, I can agree. I can yeah. agree. Now we have the real tough choice here. Is this better than the Thanksgiving issue? And is this better than Power Trip? Man, well, the Thanksgiving issue, I think both of those were uh, double-sized. Yeah. And this was a regular issue. Uh, hmm. Well, let's okay, let's just talk about Thanksgiving. What do you think? Equal to, better than, worse than? I still think that the Thanksgiving one has a bit more to it. I definitely see that the artwork, John Bogdanov's artwork is probably tops in this yeah. or the Thanksgiving oh, one. Yeah. But I think the story-wise is it's just a nice, complete story. This one, you got to have a lot more in there. Okay, yeah. So I think that it's... I, I think that since this one is not a standalone issue, okay. I think that's where it's going to fall apart. Okay. And I could be—you could talk me out of it—but I think that I think that it could be a good number three. Uh, I don't think I really need to talk you out of it. Okay. I'm happy with this being in the third slot. It is a great issue. It is. Yeah. It is, and it definitely belongs up in the in the top. Yeah, it really, really does. All right. So our new number three. Yep. Congratulations. Thirty-five. All the mutes tie in life or death. And that leads us to the final thoughts on the beer that we had. So let's uh, talk about this thing and see what we think. Apocalypse by Ten Barrels Brewing. Yeah. You've uh, been uh, sucking this down. Uh, I am enjoying it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for an IPA, uh, again, we're not really IPA drinkers, but no, this is quite pleasant. But not bad. It definitely has got the strong kick to it. Mm-hmm. It's not for the lighthearted, as a beer called Apocalypse should not be. <laughs> <laughs> but still, um, it's not so it's like i'm i drink it and i don't make that face yeah. you know and it, eh, a little bit of one but it's okay, not bad but, though. but not not really really bad mm. it is i would drink this again quite happily i don't know if i'd hunt it down all the time it wouldn't be like the beer i'd stock my fridge with sure. but uh i think I, i'm enjoying it i'm gonna say that this is a good 3.5 for me which is it's fair i i could possibly go to four, but that's not an, I'm, it's not an IPA guy. No. It's a good 3.5 for me. It is an excellent three and a half power balls. I fully agree, and that's what I'm going to give it as well. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse, 10 barrel brewing, 3.5 from us, and probably higher for those of you that like IPAs. Yep. Or less. We don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you like. You just like what you like. Our rating is subjective to ourselves. Don't put your things on us. Yeah, don't add us, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but now that we've talked about our beer, let's go and talk to Rick's daughter, Carrie, and see what she thought about this issue at hand. So, Rick and Carrie, tell us a tale. Hello, Carrie. How are you? Good. And how are you, Daddy? I'm doing pretty good. It's a pretty nice Sunday morning that we're talking on, right? Yes. And we're talking about Power Pack number 35, which got X Factor in it, and it's also got some villains. Who are the villains in this? Pestilent and that dark angel they talked about. Yeah. Death? Yeah. And he used to be angel, right? Yeah. But then he became death. Kind of freaky? Yeah. What else can you tell me about the villains? How did Power Pack get involved in all this? Kitty tries to help her mom. Um, Why does she have to help her mom? Because their mom is on the subway and... She thinks that she might be in trouble. Yeah. So then that's how Power Pack got involved. And um, that's how they interacted with Death and Pestilence and Power and uh, X-Factor, right? Yeah. What did you think about the story? It was fine. Didn't interest you that much? It did kind of interest me. What, what parts interested you? When they managed to save the Statue of Liberty, I suppose. You like the part where they, they saved the Statue of Liberty? Yeah. How did they do that? Alex. Alex disintegrated like some part of the ship. Uh-huh. And uh, Katie and Jack got people out of there. Yeah. So they worked together as a team in order to get it done, right? Yeah. Is there any other parts that you uh, found really interesting or did you that you liked a lot? I liked it when they fi- finally saw their mom. When her, their mom came home safe? Yeah. That was nice to see her home, and that they didn't have to save her, right? Yeah. What'd you think of the cover of the book? Pretty action-packed. Pretty action-packed? Yeah. So this is part of a bunch of other stories that were going on in different comic books at the same time. That's why it says at the bottom, uh, Fall of the Mutes tie-in. Is there anything you want else you want to talk about? No. Okay. Thank you very much, Carrie. You're welcome, Daddy. I love you. Love you, too. We love, 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 love to recognize the listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. This, of course, is for episode 43, where we talked about another X-Factor issue, except a real X-Factor issue, X-Factor Annual number two. AJ. Al Sedano and Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Charlie Rose. Chris at BTO and Bat Books. Craig McNichol. David Adler. Clinton Robinson and the Fam Film Fridays. Are you still in the basement there, Clinton? Come on out. Green Lantern HG. Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Our buddy Jeff Polier. Jeremy Daw. Keith Baker. Kyle Silnelli. Let's Talk New Warriors. Limax 7, who thinks of Mary Shelley as early sci-fi more than Jules Verne's. DJ Pat Sampson, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and the Long Box Crusade. Give me a beat! Okay, Boomal. Mark's Mess Podcasts. Max Trevor. Mr. Rogers Core. And Z Waffles. Professor Frenzy. It's a show. It's a show. Sean in the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, who I was happy to meet and talk with about a week ago when he came to town for a conference. We had a wonderful time getting together. It was fun, wasn't it, Jeff? I was not there, so I'm sure it was. Super fun. He's still bitter. I'm not bitter, I'm angry. There's a difference. (laughs) 
You know who I'm not bitter or angry at? Who? Tim Price, the pod crasher. Warlord Worlds. The WMQ podcast. Colin Stapleton and the worst comic podcast ever. Also, be sure to check out our other shows that we're in. I'm on a show called Brick Meets a Legion, which sometimes, sometimes you can find at Comic Reflections. And of course, our junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rookie Agents episodes of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And one last thing. We hope you all have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas, or whatever festival you choose. Jeff and Rick present as a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of my daughter who kept on coming down here and falling down off a couch in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff Rick present our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick present our email address, Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com or at our website, Jeff and Rick or find us on YouTube under Jeff and Rick present. Now you'll notice that's like five different ways that you can contact us and talk. And if you do, we'll talk back. We'd like to hear from you. Do you know that we have a Patreon account? Well, we do. It helps cover the cost to host our show, buy our equipment, buy our beer. Plus, we donate 10% of the proceeds to the Hero Initiative. If you would like to donate to us, please go to patreon.com and look for Jeff and Rick Present. All one word. If you want to donate directly to the Hero Initiative, we encourage you to go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always... We want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. Until next time. Costumes, costumes off. off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Descent. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Acopatech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing all... No, that's not right. Analyzing alternate awesome and amazing adventures <coughs> and absorbing alcohol. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. Yeah, this is the standard one. Is yours messed up or something? Or are you on your previous script? You're on your Patreon script, aren't you? You are. Squidge. I really think Jack encapsulated the feeling exact. I really think that Jack encapsulated. I really think that Jack encapsulated that feeling exactly. Squidge. Could not have said that any better myself. <laughs> well, this flying spaceballs prop. Pop quiz, Rick. Ah! I don't have anything. I don't talk to people. Squidge. Meanwhile, a really freaky skull. Eat it up. Chew that scenery. Squidge. Which is a fancy way of saying lifting brain magic. Or mind bullets, Kyle. <laughs> mind bullets. That's telekinesis. Squidge. Hmm. Actually, he is Warrington Worthington the Third. Formerly, he actually, he is Warren <laughs> Worthington the Third. You said Warrington. <laughs> Warrington War War War. He's War. Warrington is a place on the coast. Okay. Yes, it is. I've cashed there. Squidge. The kids fly toward the front of the ship where they see X Factor. Wait, wow. you're not going to comment on my orientation awesomeness? The kids fly towards the front of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Keep going. Squidge. I don't know if I was trying to make sure she didn't fall off the couch. What an average dad I am. No, I saw you push her. I will stand up in court and say that. And this is going to be the last power pack <laughs> ever because Rick mysteriously disappeared. Uh, see that bus? See, see that subway train? Yeah. Threw you right under it. <laughs> so weird the way that he threw himself onto some subway trains after <laughs> stabbing himself a bunch. He you, beat himself in the head with an empty beer bottle. And you, you dared me to lick the third rail. <laughs> I did. I was like, I have a problem I need to take care of. Wait a minute. <laughs> hey, Rick. What's going on? I don't even know where we are. Oh, dude, where's my car?